Jacob, Luca. We're good. So uh, the date today is August 1st, although technically this is a July study. And I'll tell you why it's a July study, even though it's August 1st. All right, there you go. Because uh, I've always wanted there to be 32 days in July, and it just never happened, so I can, I can make it happen. No, just kidding. Um, uh, Jacob, we, we had kind of lined this up before, but the Luca family went on a two-week extended vacation. Oh, that's right, yeah. And so that, that, that threw our schedule off a little bit. Because in August, we're going to be uh, focusing a lot on missions. So... Um, so uh, really, I think at least three, um, we're, we're lining up at least three different uh, mission experiences and missionaries and mission organizations uh, that are going to be teaching in August. So, but that said, we're not doing that tonight. So I'm going to let Jacob take over from here. You want to put it in the, the, I'll just hold it. You just hold it? All right, there you go. That's a little appreciation for this. How's everybody doing tonight? What? Yeah, yeah. I hope we get to that. I haven't decided if we actually will or not. But if we don't get to it during the teaching, it's something we can go over afterwards. But it's supplemental, completely supplemental to the teaching. Um, I want the podium. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I have an attendant. Yes. Thank you, Randall. Servant leader right there. Anyway. So, yeah, my name is Jacob Luca, and I've been coming to Remedy since 2012, so about five-ish years, off and on because of school. But, um, yeah, Randall talked about my heart for art and for teaching. I also have a huge heart for you guys, too, this, this group, Remedy, us people. And uh, this message is specifically for you guys um, and anyone else who would hear it, too. Um, but it's a – I should probably tell you what the subject is. The subject, <laughs> the subject is identity, and uh, I've been thinking about identity for a while, probably a few years, and I've – you know, heard different people talk about it, and I've um, had my opinions on it kind of grow and develop. Um, but there's another thing, another subject that I'm talking about tonight, too, and that is shame. And so the reason why I'm talking about shame as well is because in my own life and in other <laughs> lives of people that I know, or lives of pe other people that I know, um, it's kind of been a foil to realizing your identity. Um, that is your identity in Christ. Um, it's something, shame is something that takes you out of play as a Christian if you let it consume you. And uh, I've, I've experienced that in my life. And I'll get to tell you a little bit about that story. Um, before we get into that, though, um, let me just be a little bit kind of uh, fourth wall breaky right now. That means I'm going to tell you about how this is going to work tonight, um, like a narrator, sort of. Um, so identity is the main point that I want to drive tonight. And shame is just that thing that I think we need to talk about because, again, it's the foil to 
shame or it's the foil to identity in my opinion so um, Merriam Webster's dictionary um, defines shame as a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt shortcoming or impropriety that's a big word I'm not going to talk about it anymore um, <laughs> and there's a difference between shame and guilt now pastor Joel Midtoon talked about that I want to say three or four years ago when he was teaching here and that's kind of that might be when I first started really thinking about it um, because the distinction is kind of significant to me anyway um, but the definition of guilt in the same dictionary Merriam-Webster's is having committed a breach of conduct and there's another definition feelings of deserving blame so you compare those definitions and it talks about shame as a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt. So they're related to each other, but they're not the same thing. Now, something that Pastor Joel said years ago um, is that guilt says, I have done something wrong. I have done something wrong. My actions are not in step with what God um, has commanded me to do or wants me to do but it's just left with the actions what you've done um, it's kind of a legal thing um, there are bad feelings along with that too um, which I would argue is just a little bit of shame uh, but shame says that because I've done something wrong I have to be something wrong me and my being is something wrong I don't know if that's grammatically correct but it is, <laughs> it is a true statement, though, um, as far as that's the kind of uh, assertion that shame makes. Um, so then you could really say that shame is an identity issue. It's, it makes you think something about yourself that is not true, and therefore it is difficult for you to really understand who you really are. Um, who God has made you to be, how he is making you to be. Um, it's one of those things that makes everything all about yourself. When you're in shame, you're thinking completely about what you've done. You can't get over the terrible things that you've done or, uh, you know, how you see yourself. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, I would argue that a little bit of shame and a little bit of guilt are okay and they're useful um, because they point you to Jesus because they let you know oh you know what I'm kind of up a creek right now and uh, I need somebody to save me it makes you realize that you actually need a savior um, but beyond that I'd say it becomes very harmful if you dwell on it and you let it take over and uh, let me kind of just ask you some questions then to kind of illustrate a point. Have you at any time believed any of these statements about yourself? And I'm just going to go through the list. So just think, meditate on it, think back in your life. If you've ever believed any of these things at any phase in your life, any season in your life. Here's the first one. God doesn't or he can't love me. He doesn't want to talk to me. 
I'm a hypocrite. I can't show my face at church or around my Christian friends or anybody really that I care about because what I've done is so bad or who I am is so bad. God won't forgive me for what I have done. I'm not really a Christian. A Christian wouldn't have done the things that I've done. There's no way that I can be saved anymore. I lost my salvation. I've sinned too much. Or, I'm not fit to serve at church or in the kingdom. My sin is so bad that I'm past the point of forgiveness. I can't ever move past this. So, I think um, the reason why I'm able to come up with a lot of these is because either I felt them myself at some point in my life, or I've known people who have felt these things. And uh, this is just kind of proof of how Satan really loves shame. And he uses it to bring you down. He uses it to get you out of play. Because here's the thing, God's going to forgive you for the things that you do. The thing that God wants from you is to you know, press into him and realize that he loves you and that nothing you do can change that. And you have work to do. You have a purpose to live. You have things that you can do to glorify him, even though you have a bad track record. But Satan's going to say, oh, no, you know, you're just not worthy. You can't do this. Like, <laughs> why even try? Um, so I'm going to get into my uh, little testimonial story that I told you I was going to do. But before then, the first verse I want us to go to is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. I have to find it too. Last time I taught, I had sticky notes in my Bible. That was a really good idea. I don't know why I forgot that idea. <laughs> no, the light's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 7.10. see, Romans, 2 Corinthians. Thank you, God. Definition of guilt, yes. The definition of guilt, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, is, well, the first one is having committed a breach of conduct. And the second one that I chose to use is feelings of deserving blame probably of actions. All right, let me find it real quick. Seven, ten. All right, now this is talking about godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. And uh, it, it's kind of a theme in the story I'm going to tell. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas a worldly grief produces death. I'll go over that when the story's over again, too. Um, so, the story takes place a little more than a year ago, um, spring semester at Biola 2016. So, it's pretty recent. And... Just to put it out there, I kind of consider this one of the lower points in my spiritual walk as a Christian. And um, yeah, so I was, it starts out good. <laughs> I was serving as an usher and an Awana leader at um, 
Calvary Chapel La Mirada, which is the town that I went to school in. Um, that's where Biola is. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I had a really good uh, ministry leader. Um, the kind of my peer leaders were really good. They were energetic and optimistic and they really cared about the kids. The ushers took their job seriously. Um, we were almost kind of like security guards too, sort of like nothing ever happened, but, um, (laughs) that's how we were supposed to see ourselves according to our leader. And, um, it, it was a really good, uh, really good time in my life where I kind of got to experience real service, real ministry. Um, and it helped me a lot. This, this, the, the kind of, uh, bad part of the story in a longer, more roundabout way helped too. But anyway, just to get to the cut to the chase, I started sinning. I picked up some habits that, you know, weren't glorifying God. They're worldly, fleshly things. And, uh, in the past, you know, I was able to receive God's forgiveness and move past them and just keep doing what God wanted me to do, um, serving people, not, you know, getting hung up on it and stuff. But I think just the fact that um, I knew I'd been struggling with these things for a long time, um, I started to feel kind of like a hypocrite and because uh, I kept doing them. I'm like, yeah, I believe in your forgiveness. I believe that you save me and you love me and you want me to change, but I'm not changing. And so at some point in there, I just stopped going to church. Like I just stopped going to the church I was serving at and because um, it was easier. You know, I was busy too. I used that kind of as an excuse, you know, oh, all this schoolwork, I have these projects, I have my senior show, I have to make these pieces of art and stuff. Um, I have finals coming up. I have to figure out what I'm going to do when I graduate. Just all kinds of like, you know, excuses. They were real things I was doing, but at the same time, I had the time to keep going to church. I could have um, invested my time there. And, um, and it was because I just started to uh, use my guilt and my shame kind of as I was wearing it. The, the, the image that I have in my head is I was kind of wearing it as a cloak. Like I was using it to kind of just keep my church people at arm's length, not really have to answer to my responsibilities. And that's the thing is like, I neglected my responsibilities that I had at that church. I, you know, they, they had ushers to do the job. You know, they had other Awana leaders. You know, it's not like I did, you know, that's how I reasoned it anyway. It's like, I'm not necessary. They don't need me there. And plus, they probably don't want me because, you know, I can't, I don't want to face them right now. Um, I'm not in a good place. I'll get in the way. Um, I'm not my best self right now. So, um, you know, they'll just use someone better. You know, there's always someone stepping up to the plate with ministry. Um, and those are the things I believed. And um, I think the sad part of that whole ordeal is that other people paid the price for me making that decision. You know, for me, letting guilt and shame become my identity at that point in time. <laughs> Because uh, 
you know, they appreciated my help as an usher there. Like, um, it was, there were some days where there was maybe one other usher, but you know, with two, you can get the service going when it's down to one person. That's really stressful. Um, with Awana's, I just kind of gave up the opportunity to pour into those kids for, um, a couple of months, which it's not the way that I wanted to leave that church. Um, and you know, every, all this got, gets resolved. Like I did like go back and visit in September and I talked with my ministry leader and we were good, but you know, there's a lot of people I didn't get to talk to. Um, so, so shame was really just hurting my walk as a Christian. It was bringing me super low. Um, and I think, and, and I knew what I had to do. I knew I just had to, you know, get over it, start going back to church, start trusting God, just, you know, spending time with him in the word. Um, I don't think I was really wanting to admit how much it was changing my perspective of myself and just, um, I was limiting what I could do. Now, um, would you guys say that that was an example of worldly sorrow or godly sorrow at that point in time? You guys can all share. That was worldly, yes. Um, you are correct. That was worldly sorrow. So worldly sorrow is basically wallowing. You could just sum it up in that word. It's um, Sometimes it's uh, my, my past mentor, Jerob, talked about it as, oh, you know, I, yeah, I'm sorry I did this. God, are we good now? Like, you know, I, I won't do it again. And then you're back there again doing the same thing. You just, you're sorry because you're caught in the act or whatever and you want to save face with people and then there's also the wallowing where you know you're just almost uh single-mindedly focused on it on the guilt and the shame on the sorrow uh but what does it say about godly sorrow it leads to repentance so and funny enough i think uh yeah that's that's really where you have to start turning the bus around, so to speak, um, is with repentance. Now, one thing I didn't talk about as uh, one of those things that I think was mixed up in all the bad emotions and my bad decisions and just the identity was pride. I wasn't realizing how proud I was being because um, I was believing in my heart and in my actions and in my mind that... Um, I am defined by this sin in this moment in time, and I'm not really willing to do anything about it when the cure for that is humility. The cure for pride is always humility. I'd say the cure for shame and all these kind of things is humility because in order to really walk in your true identity in Christ, you have to humbly accept what the Bible says about you. You have to humbly accept what God says about you. And that means that you don't listen to the voices that are in your head or like your own opinion about yourself. You don't um, listen to your own presuppositions. You don't base it all on your actions. Do you guys remember that Casting Crown song? Um, not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. 
Um, that's really what it is. It's that kind of humility to see that perspective. And I know that's like a song that like Caleb and the fish like overplayed a whole lot, but it's super duper deep, especially when it applies to you personally. Um, so yeah, humbly accepting that I am who God says I am. And I am, my identity is entirely contingent. It's entirely contingent on what he's done for me as well. And this, all this stuff that I'm saying about myself, please, it applies to all of us. It applies to all of us. If we are truly Christ's followers, if we are truly his children, it applies to all of us. Um, he created us in the first place in his own image because he identifies with us. He sent his son down in the form of a man because he identifies with us. And he even wanted us to be a part of his family, so he adopted us as well. Um, so there's another story I want to tell. And... Uh, And it's in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It's the prodigal son, or prodigal son story. You might be stunned by it. I don't know. Luke 15, 11. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. So... I think this is one of the most relatable stories for a lot of people. Um, not necessarily because we did exactly the same things that the foolish son did, um, but we've all kind of, in some way, shape, or form, either run away from God or hid from him in some way. But I'm giving away too much, so I'm just going to read it. <clears throat> And this is Jesus telling the story um, in the Gospel of Luke. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me, or that is rightfully mine. And he divided his property between them, the father. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, or in some translations, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants? Oh, I'm sorry, I lost my place because the page flipped. Uh, let's see. Man, I was getting all dramatic and stuff, too. My voice changed. Thank you. Thank you. 
I have to actually read it into the microphone though. Um, <laughs> but thank you. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. Thanks for helping me out. Oh yeah. Okay. I see it. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, the second half of the story is important, too. It's kind of a different character study, though. Um, so I'm going to stop it right there. Um, so, yeah, I, I see some parallels, at least in the story that I told about myself, as well as this story, too, because... And that whole time where I was wearing shame like a cloak, as I said earlier, I was hiding from God. I was running and I was in darkness. I was in darkness so much that the light, the thought of the light hurt. It burned. Like I knew my friends would forgive me. I knew my ministry leader would forgive me and just want me to get back to work and everything. But <coughs> I was afraid of that for whatever reason, and that was the pride again, you know, just be like, no, you know, I screwed up so bad, I don't deserve this, you know, don't give it to me, kind of thing. Um, but that's not who I am. That's not who I am, that's not who any of us are. Um, we are loved like the son was loved, even though he screwed up, threw away everything, kind of spat in his father's face, which we do every time we sin, mind you. Um, he saw him a far way off and ran to him. And he celebrated his return. And that's all God wanted to do with me in this season. That's all he wanted to do was to restore me. Why are you running? Why are you hiding? Come back. That's all he wanted to say to me. And it's not because of anything that I've done or because of anything I can make for myself on my own. It's because of who he is and what he's done. So back to sec. No, wait, no. I'm losing my place a little bit. Give me a minute. Okay, I've covered all that. Let's go into 2 Corinthians again, but we're going to be in chapter 5, uh, verse 17. And I would encourage all of you guys to go back and read uh, some of these passages, because I don't really think I'm doing them justice as far as like a biblical analysis, but that's not really what this talk is about either. It's a little bit more of a story time kind of thing. 
um, in some senses. Uh, thank you. Such a gentleman. Um, I said that into the microphone. Uh, <laughs> anyway. All right. Are we all there? Are we good? 517. 517. That's right. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, or for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In other words, get rid of your pride. Forget about the shame. Just get right with God. Don't wait. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's how God sees us. He sees Jesus when he sees us. He sees the work that Jesus did on the cross when he sees us. We are legally innocent before God. So why would any of us go around punishing ourselves for the sins that we've committed, for the things that we've done? I think it's because we know we deserve it. Um, personally, that's what I think. Um, if, if you know yourself well enough, you probably come to that conclusion. It's like, oh, I deserve this. Oh, yeah, I'm going to live this way. But it doesn't glorify God to live that way. Not one bit. It doesn't Beating yourself up isn't going to solve anything, and I should know because, like, again, one, another thing that Jerob said to me, something he said about myself is that I have a hard time letting the past be the past. I kind of just beat myself up. He says I wear, or he's told me before at least, that he could sense me wearing my sin around my neck like a weight, and um, that was a good talk that we had back then. I still remember it. Um, I'm not here to tell you that story. Um, <laughs> I've told you enough stories. Um, so the things that God wants. He wants eternity with his people. And I'm just going to read straight out of my notes at this part because it's something that I have to say to myself pretty often. Because the feelings of guilt and shame, they're so human. They're so natural. We're born into this world broken. Um, we inherit Adam's sin. Um, that's the first Adam. Um, not the Adam that's sitting in this room, but <laughs> the first Adam's sin, just so you know. Um, I, I thought I should clarify because I didn't want anybody having any nasty opinions about our friend. Um, anywho. Um, where was I? So we're born into this world broken. So those, those feelings are natural, guilt and the shame. But what's unnatural is the way that, or at least unnatural to us, is the way that God works. And it wasn't always that way in the garden. Being around God, abiding in him, delighting in him, that was the most natural thing. Sin is the unnatural element that came into the picture and screwed everything up. But anyway, back to what I'm going to read to you. He wants eternity with us. 
He loves you. He is proud of you simply because you are his. You belong to him. That's just a metaphysical thing. Like, that's just a thing that is that you can't do anything about. That is who you are to him. He delights in you even before you do anything with your day. You can't make him love you more than he already does. Nothing good you do, nothing righteous you do is going to make him love you any more than he already does. So if you're spending your time and your energy and your life trying to be good enough for God, you already are. You don't have to do that anymore. Nothing you do will make him love you less either. Um, Just think about it. Just think about it for a minute. God, who is completely righteous, who is completely self-sufficient, he doesn't need us. You know, we're not around because he needs us. Because he is triune. That means there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have been loving each other and been in relationship with each other before the foundations of creation. So they've got the fellowship down. They've got the love down without us even in the picture. But, you know, God is glorified in us being around, though, too, because he created more things to love, more thing, more persons to love, um, I'm getting a little bit off track. (laughs) Um, His love for you is a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Um, In 1 Thessalonians 1.4, you don't have to turn there. This is a different translation. I've been mainly reading out of the ESV, but this is NLT. Um, We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. He chose us. He chose us. So how could... I don't know. Oh, I remember where I was. I'll wrap it all together. Um, nothing we can do can make him love us any less because he doesn't need us. He, I mean, he sent his son to die for us, right? Like, he wouldn't have done that He knew, unless he... Unless he loved us. Absolutely. And he knows everything you're going to do before you do it. He knew before this whole thing started, this whole creation story, the salvific (laughs) story started. He knew everything good and bad you were going to do with your life. So you can't... He already gave you the solution we are legally innocent before him because we are covered by Jesus's blood that's that's pretty awesome Um, so you're not going to make him love you any less if you sin against him spit in his face like I said which um, and that's the thing though too is like I think going back to my story one of the things that made me uh really feel like a hypocrite was because I was a Christian and I knew that I was hurting God when I sinned, but I wanted to do it anyway. But you know what? God's bigger than that. He can take it. 
that doesn't give us license to have that attitude. That's a terrible attitude to have. Um, but he's in it for the long game. Like he's in it for the long game. He will be, you know, and that's the thing that I learned in this season was God is patient. He is so patient and he wants us so bad. He wants us so bad because he's willing to go through so much back to Jesus, (laughs) his own son who had never been separated from him before at all in history. They broke up for a little bit, so to speak. Well, not really, but they spent time away from each other, at least in the intimate sense that they had before Christ came down to earth. And what did it say in 2 Corinthians 5? He who knew no sin became sin itself. Like, what is it that Jesus says on the cross? Father, why have you forsaken me? That's what he's talking about. Like, it's not so much the pain of the torture that he was experiencing on that cross where he was being asphyxiated and he was losing all of his blood, basically, too, and his... I don't know all the science. I'm not going to pretend that I do. But when he was like more dead than a dead person should be, even though he's still alive at that point, um, it wasn't all that. It was the fact that he was separated from God in the most sense that you could be separated. In the sense that you're separated from God um, in hell, that kind of. I mean, God's in hell. God's everywhere. But you're not united with him in that sense Um, that's the best way i can articulate that right now Um, so he did all that for us you know like he did all that for us so why why are we why do some of us beat ourselves up and take on shame so i'm on this side So I talked a little bit about people kind of being worried about being good enough for God. Um, Now, I'm just going to get a little bit on a soapbox, just a little bit. If I haven't already been, I think I've already kind of been. But this is a different soapbox. And this is just kind of observations I've made. I don't know how true they are or not. But from my observations, um, guys I know and girls I know handle shame very differently. Um, or at least it manifests itself differently from what I've seen. And this is very general. It's not, hopefully the language I use isn't like, oh, all guys are this way and all girls are that way, because, you know, we're all a little bit more intelligent than that. But um, <laughs> but anyway, the guys that I've talked to and know do the thing that I've been talking about all night, um, or all, most of the night, just kind of, getting hung up in the thing, the bad things that we've done and just kind of, oh, you know, God can't use me. He's not going to use me because X, Y, Z, I did this, I did that. Woe is me. I'm such a crappy person. Like that's the kind of shame that I see coming up in guys all the time. Now uh, with women, from what I've seen, which hasn't been as, I haven't talked to as many, about this but it's more about they don't feel like they can do enough 
Um, and shame manifests itself that way. Um, they don't think that they're good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, strong enough, funny, exciting, polite, well-behaved. They just don't feel like they can measure up. Um, and I felt that way too um, before. And I'm sure a lot of us have, but I don't know why I felt like I had to make that distinction between guys and girls. But um, but this is a definitely a different kind of shame, right, than what I've been talking about. It's more we get influenced a little bit more by society, right? or by our peers, and I want you guys to hear this, to hear this. Don't let anybody else tell you who you are. I mean, just, that's just the basic way to put that. Like, no one else can, no one else knows you that well. Like, okay, maybe your parents, maybe. They probably know you better than you know you, um, or whoever your guardians are, whoever those close people in your life are. Because haven't you noticed that they can, like, pick out all your blind spots, and you're like, wait, I don't do that. Oh, you do that all the time. Yeah, that's just an example of that. When you're so close to the situation, you don't see it sometimes. But those that are close to you, just the next ring out, can see it. Um, but don't feel like you have to be good enough for other people. Don't be people pleasers um, in the sense that you're just trying to get their favor all the time. Be the authentic you. Let me read what that authentic you is again. God loves you and is proud of you simply because you are his. That is who you are. He delights in you even before you do anything with your day. I'm going to quote Jerob again because it's appropriate. That's something that you can't earn, you can't learn, and you can't burn. What that means is there's nothing you can do to change the way that God feels about you, the way that God sees you. And here's the thing, he's like up there in heaven, right? We're not there, we can't, we can't change that. We can't change how he sees us. He's already decided how he sees us. Now, we gotta decide how we see ourselves, right? We gotta decide what identity we're gonna walk in. And I have a few suggestions on how we can do that. Um, I think one of the first things you can do is uh, just practice gratitude with God. That is, just thank him all the time for what he's done for you and what he's done for your friends, for the people that are important to you. The things that people normally wouldn't think of even. Who was I talking to about this recently? I don't remember. But whoever it was, oh, yeah, it was James on vacation. Some guy you guys don't know, but... Um, He's talking to Ben and I one day, and he's just like, you know what? Like, people give God empty prayers all the time. Like, oh, thank you for this food. Thank you for this day. Amen. Bye. Um, <laughs> catch you next time. Um, how do you think he feels about that? Probably not so great. That might be hurting our relationship with him a little bit. So let's practice some gratitude and really thank him for the things Take the time to slow down and thank him for the things that we're thankful for. Um, and I'm not saying that people in here don't do that, because I know people in here do that. Um, some specific people, for sure. Um, and of course, I'll always give you guys the benefit of the doubt, too. Um, but anyway, something that Derek, who's in this room right now, has told me whenever we've met one-on-one, -on -one, and I think he says it pretty consistently, 
And that's preach the gospel to yourself every day. And you know why you have to do it every day? Because you need it every day. You know something that my church does that I really love, um, and it's LifePoint Church, um, is communion every week. Why do I love communion every week? Because I need communion every week. I probably need it more than that. I need to realign myself with God, understand what he's done for me, understand that he's willing to forgive all the terrible things that I've done, and he just wants to be close. That's what he wants. He wants to be close to us. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Um, Another thing, ask him how you can walk in your identity in Christ as his beloved, as his adopted, as someone who he wants. How can you love him better? And it should go without saying, don't dwell on shame. Um, Like I said, a little bit, and this is my opinion, a little bit of shame, a little bit of guilt is good, at least to the point where you've learned the lesson that it points you to Jesus and you need a savior. Because here's the thing, like, if we're not aware of how bad our sins are, if, if our sins aren't even bad, like let's just say that, you know, a white lie isn't as bad as, you know, whatever. Or I ran a red light that's not as bad as, you know, plowing into somebody's car or whatever. Um, if we don't really understand how much God hates sin and how bad it is, we can't really fully appreciate Jesus as a savior. It's like, oh, what'd you die for? Oh, you died for my speeding ticket? Oh, well, it's just a speeding ticket. I paid for that with my own money, right? Um, If that's the attitude we take, there's something wrong. But if we appreciate or at least understand the fact that our sin is bad and it really tears God up, um, then (laughs) that we would be we would be dead. We would be in hell without God doing something about it, without Jesus. Um, Because we need to know that, to know that Jesus is a good Savior. So to that extent, I'll say that shame and guilt can be useful, but anything beyond that, not belong that, beyond that, is uh, really harmful, and it'll put you in the same situation I was in. And I'd argue the prodigal son was in, too, because you notice when he came back, he was, he's kind of talking himself up a little bit, right? He came up with this plan. He's like, God, uh, Father, I'm going to say to you, I'm not worthy to be your son. And I think he really believed that. I think he really believed that. It was also a little bit strategic, too, taking on some kind of like false humility, because that's what it was. No, there's, there's some real humility in there, too, but um, but not the true humility where he was realizing how God saw him. He was focused on how he saw himself. So, um, but yeah, he was, he was all in the shame at that point in the story. I think it really hit him when he was trying to eat the food out of the pig trough. Um, that was just kind of a physical representation of how low he went, right? Um, I've had those moments too. Um, some of us might be able to point out moments like that in our lives as well. Um, so the next thing 
I have this and one more. Uh, the next thing is practice humility. Trust and believe what God says about you. Now, Pastor Chris over at LifePoint, he said this really cool thing about humility that um, I need to meditate on and think about more, but I really love it, um, is that humility isn't thinking little of yourself. It's thinking of yourself little, so less. Don't make it all about you all the time. Take your eyes off of yourself. Don't worry about what you lack. Because, I mean, if you look at the church, if you look at us as Christians, who does God really use? He uses the meek and the mild, right? He uses the people that um, society wouldn't look twice at a lot of the times. He uses, uh, you know, he uses other people too. Like he used uh, Saul for a while, right? Because he was a tall, strong, handsome kind of king, right? That went south at a certain point, but that was all Saul's fault. Um, David, same thing. Like he was, he had ruddy good looks or whatever, however the Bible describes that. They made a point of exp explaining how ruddy he was. I remember that. But, but, you know, he was charismatic. He slayed Goliath. The people loved him. They loved him more than Saul, all that kind of stuff. So God uses popular people too. But, um, but you look at the 12 disciples, right? bunch of fishermen, some tax collectors, which people really hated tax collectors, right? Tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were like, I don't know. They're like the, I don't want to say it because I'll get in trouble because they're listening. Um, but it's an acronym. Starts with an I, ends with an S. There's an R in there somewhere, kind of like that. Sort of, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I don't understand them that well, but I'm glad they're there, honestly. Um, yeah, so let's go through those again. Gratitude, number one. Preach the gospel to yourself every day, number two. Ask him how you can better love him or walk out your identity in him, number three. Don't dwell on shame, that's number four. Practice humility and take your eyes off of yourself, that's number five. And I just have this kind of... Uh, wrap-up sentiment to give because I think it's about that time or long past I don't know it's been flying for me <clears throat> when you are confident and comfortable in who you are in relationship to God you are better able to live life with purpose because there's this principle in metaphysics which uh, metaphysics is just a study of reality how things really are um and that is, that principle is being precedes doing, right? Being precedes doing. Now, when Paul talks about the good tree bearing good fruit and the bad tree bearing bad fruit, that's what that principle is all about. You can't really fake it. Um, but you have to start by being aware of what you are and who you are. And we are all adopted by God. We were all created by him. We were all saved by him if we are Christ followers. Um, and I would say if you don't believe you are a Christ follower and you want to be, you should meet up with someone here who you trust because there's no point in waiting. There's no good reason to wait, really, um, because God wants you. He wants you even if you don't want him. 
Um, and if you don't want him as, if you're aware that you don't want him as much as you're supposed to want him, we're all in that boat anyway, to some degree or another. But he is, like I said earlier, very patient, and he will work with you, and he delights in nothing more than uh, working with someone who really wants to repent, turn their life around, give it to him. So yeah, being proceeds doing. When you are confident and comfortable in who you are in relationship to God, you are better able to live life with purpose. Thanks, guys. That's it. I'm done. Oh, I should pray. Let's pray. I forgot that part. God, I want to thank you for your I want to thank you for your patience, Lord. I want to thank you that my friends are patient too and they were such good listeners, Lord. I pray that uh everything I had or better yet you had to say through me, Lord, because this is about you. This is about your people, your relationship to them, Lord. I pray that everything that you wanted to communicate to them was communicated to them. I pray that you reached each of them exactly where they are in their walk and gave them hope, Lord, gave them encouragement, showed them that they are loved so well and that there's nothing that they can do to change that. I pray that that thought would give them peace, Lord, Give them peace. I pray that we would all just drop our burdens, Lord. Drop whatever we're carrying around with us. It's not worth it. A lot of the times we kind of uh, act the way the Israelites did when they were being led out of the desert. And we hunger for that Egyptian food, Lord. We hunger for the days when we were slaves because it was easy. It was familiar. Some, you know, in some of our cases, we enjoyed it. Um, but God, um, what you have for us is joy itself. Joy and peace, love, unity, friendship, purpose, Lord. Those are the things that you have for us. So I pray that we would all do what it takes to own our identity as your children and not to let any false identity get in the way, whether that be our pride or our shame or things that other people have made us believe about ourselves, things that Satan's been whispering in our ears, Lord, whatever it may be, God. You want us to know you. I pray we would know you. I pray that we would make that a priority if we're not already. Um, and God, for those of us here that feel really good about where we're walking with you, feel really good about what you've been doing in our lives, Lord, um, we just want to praise you for that because it's you, God. Um, we want to thank you for that. Thank you that we have people like that here that uh, can be an ambassador 
like it said in Second Corinthians, to be an example. Um, and Lord, I pray that we wouldn't hide, that we wouldn't run, that we wouldn't deny who we are. So when we sin, we kind of mar our image that you've given us. We muck it up a little bit. Um, but Lord, there's nothing that you can't restore. The whole history of humanity is you reaching out to us and finding new, fresh ways to bring us closer to you. Show us that you're still there. You're still caring. You're not giving up on us. So, Lord, help us not to give up on ourselves because I think, I think that happens a little bit more often than it should. So may we counter that with gratitude, with preaching the gospel to ourselves every day, understanding that you came, you sent your son down to this earth to die for us so that we may all be saved, that we may all have eternal life with you in heaven. May we forego, leave behind, kick to the curb, shame, and anything else that would get in the way of us understanding who we are as your children, God. Because there is no other life worth living than life with you, God. And that's just the truth. If we don't believe it as much as we should, help us to believe it more, Lord. Work with us. Humble us so we're more malleable in your hands, Lord. I ask these things in your name, God, and if I'm forgetting anything, Lord, please just take care of it on an individual level with people that might feel like the message didn't apply to them, Lord. Um, talk to them anyway. Meet them where they're at. We love you, Lord. Um, help us to uh, help us to live that every day and not forget what you've done for us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Oh, I didn't realize I swiveled. <laughs>